And uh, man, it's good to see y'all. Let me get my book set up here for a second. First off, I really want to say that you guys have a great pastor. Um, I would usually expect a couple amens, uh, you know, but maybe it's just early or something. I'm going to give you all the benefit of the doubt, but I'm just going to say it again. You guys have a great pastor. Amen. Amen. That's way better. If you haven't noticed, uh, as my pastor would say, uh, he came from the chocolate church. Um, uh, if you don't know what that is, it's the black church. And um, we, we, we talk and we speak back and forth to pastors and preachers. And so if, if I hear you, it means I, I hear that you're getting it. Um, but if you're not, then that means I preach longer. So, so just so we're clear uh, on the terms. Amen. <laughs> preach that. So I, I, before, before we jump in, I want to actually say uh, your pastor, uh, Pastor Prentice, is an awesome dude. Um, I'm really thankful for the opportunity that God has given for him to be able to take some time um, with his wife and, and just take a breather. If you guys uh, probably didn't know, um, there was a, you know, if you didn't, weren't able to go outside, there was like a pandemic that kind of happened. And a lot of pastors, a lot of people have been through a lot of different things. A lot of hardships, businesses have closed, churches have closed. It's a little bit part of my story. Uh, I'm a former church planter. Our church plant closed um, during the pandemic. So the pandemic's been rough on a lot of people in a lot of different ways. And pastors like your pastor can slug it out. Um, And thankful to God that he has that ability, but we're thankful to God that God won't let him do that, right? So I'm thankful that he gets some time to go ahead and relax a little bit. And uh, today we are going to jump into a a pretty, it it can be a heated topic and a heated thing depending on where you live, uh, what your name is, where you're from, who you vote for, how much money you got, what denomination you are, what ethnicity you are, how many kids you got. So boom, it covers everybody. So if, if you're breathing today, This has the space to where we're all um, part of it. So today's text, I am going to be in the book of Luke. Uh, So I'll be in Luke chapter uh, 4, and we're going to be in verses 16 through uh, 22. So let me read. This is what the word of the Lord said. Um, and, and actually, you know what, for, for, for context, just to give you a little bit of context, we'll start in verse 14 of verse 4. So it's, this is the title, uh, just so you know, these title headers in your Bible are not inspired by the Holy Spirit. So it, it's just so you know, don't freak out. But it says Jesus begins his ministry, okay? That one's, I think, a fair one with this particular text. But it says, as Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country, And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. Verse 16, and then he came to Nazareth, and when he had been brought up, when he had been brought up, and as he, as is his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll, found the place where it was written, The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach, to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recover sight to the blind, 
to set liberty to those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favor or the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all of the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in what you are hearing. And then all of them who spoke well of him and marveled at his gracious words and were coming from his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? <laughs> Boom. Father's Day. Even right there. I just saw that. I just love how the, Holy, how the Holy Ghost does that. You just, boom, Father's Day. So this text is a phenomenal text, and, you know, I, we call it the, the remix. Um, if you guys ever heard of a song, uh, you guys know what a, a, a music sample is? Some of you are like, yeah, I know what a music sample is. Well, don't you, don't you worry. I'm going to tell you what a music sample is. A music sample is a song that someone has made, and then another artist takes a certain sound or instrumentation from that, and then they redo it into their own song. It's the remix, right? And when you do a remix, one of the rules is you have to give credit to the originator. If you don't, you get sued, okay? It's called copyright infringement. You see, but Jesus here is not doing a remix, per se. He is not copywriting. He's actually testifying of who he is. He's testifying of his mission and the mission of God, his father, has commissioned him to do. And so the title of this sermon today is called Justice and the Liberation Theology of Jesus. Justice and the Liberation Theology of Jesus. Now we celebrate Father's Day on this day as well as the holiday Juneteenth. And as our sister Taylor talked about um, that this event was this celebration about the Emancipation of Proclamation. But here's one piece that many people don't know about it being connected to the church. If you understand uh, or know somewhat about uh, church history, um, primarily in America, you will see that many slaves and slave owners um, had this really weird relationship that people who were professing to be Christians as slave owners would own slaves, but then they would not allow the slaves to actually uh, go to church. Well, later on, there was a whole bunch of movement that happened that started to allow slaves to go to church, but only certain denominations would actually equip them and allow them to preach. That's why you can look at denominations to this day and see why some of them are traditionally more black or African-American and more white. It's a historical reason. But in the black church, some of them were not allowed to sing. So they would sneak out, go really far in the land, and then they would sing. Or they would dance in silence and praise God for everything that he was doing. Or they would do uh, these services to where they would have to have a white taskmaster or slave master who was their overseer in their church. They even released something called the Negro Slave Bible which was adapted um, from the, the Haiti version for America, which the whole book of Exodus is not even in that Bible. Anything dealing with emancipation, anything dealing with liberation, anything dealing with freedom was taken away so that people would not see that you should be free. So they knew that the gospel of Jesus Christ was not okay with it, but yet they came up with different excuses to excuse it away. 
So as the Emancipation of Proclamation is happening, all the black Christians are sitting in a church, and they still do this to this day. So since the Emancipation, black churches have been doing this since 1863, and they call it a night watch service. Now, if you grew up in that church, even I'm telling you about the history today, you were not happy when it was happening to you. Because I'm telling you, growing up, and I was sitting in church, and they'd be like, we got a night watch service, which means, just for context, emancipation happened on January 1st, 1863, okay? So that means New Year's Eve, when we have our New Year's Eve parties, it means you're at church in a hot room, and people are praying and watching out. So that's the history of why a lot of even black churches still to this day do night watch services on New Year's Eve. Because it was, they were getting ready, they were praying, they were asking God to cover them as they would bring in on that new year, a new year of emancipation, something that many of them had not ever even seen before. At the stroke of midnight, prayers were answered And then all enslaved people in the Confederate states were legally declared free. Now there was Union soldiers, and many of them whom were black, marched onto plantations across the cities in the South, reading small copies of the Emancipation of Proclamation, spreading of the good news of freedom in the Confederate states. It is only through the 13th Amendment did emancipation and slavery end throughout the United States. You see, but not everyone in the Confederate territory would immediately be free. Even though Emancipation Proclamation was made effective in 1863, it would not be implemented in places still under Confederate control. It's kind of telling that as a country even, we continue to do this. We'll acknowledge it, but we won't fix it. Okay? Now, these are going to be some distinctions between our context and our country. Ours happens to be the United States of America. And what we're called to do is living as citizens of the kingdom while being citizens here in the United States of America. And anybody else hearing this sermon is going to say whatever context they're in and how they live as a citizen of heaven uh, in their particular context. Now, as a result of this, in the westernmost Confederate states of Texas, enslaved people would not know or be free until much later. Freedom finally came on June 19, 1865, which Taylor mentioned, that when some uh, 2,000 Union troops arrived in Galveston Bay, Texas, the Army announced that more than 250,000 enslaved black people in the state were free by executive decree. And this date came to be known as Juneteenth by the newly freed people in Texas. And if you don't believe me, this is from the Smithsonian, so you're going to have to fight them, okay? So a lot of these facts, right, that we get from our, from our history. And what would it be like if the gospel of Jesus Christ came to you, but yet the benefits were delayed two and a half years later? Oh, how tragic that would be. Oh, how sad that would be that you missed out on the reality of your new freedom in Christ, Well, friends, today there's some people missing out on a new reality in Christ is that the issue or the topic of justice is intrinsically gospel. People have been asking this question for a long time. What does 
the gospel of Jesus Christ and justice, if any, have anything to do together. And there are many reasons for that. One of my favorite parts of theology is historical theology. You know what that means? It means like there are different types of theologies that came throughout different histories. You know why I like it? Because it makes me not want to just beat everybody up that I read about, about how they failed so much. Because it helps me give grace to them, right? But one of the people, you might know, his name is Martin Luther. Martin Luther is probably one of the most influential uh, theologians that our day has uh, ever seen. Obviously, you can understand in Martin Luther's context that the Catholic Church was doing these different things to make people work or to pay for their salvation. And Martin Luther saw and knew that that was wrong. Well, in one of Martin Luther's commentaries, again, this is not to bash Martin Luther or any other theologian in this sermon, but to show us all that we all have these not just blind spots, but we have sins to where we need God to help us and walk with us. Because there's going to be somebody, maybe two years, because I don't think that my uh, written works or sermons will be listened to uh, hundreds or thousands of years later, should Jesus not return. But all of us got some faultiness in us. Is, is Am I right, or are all y'all good, too? All right, cool. I just want to make sure we're all in the same boat. This is what Martin Luther says about the book of Galatians. He says, in a word, St. John's gospel and his first epistle, St. Paul's epistle, especially Romans, Galatians, and Ephesians, and St. Peter's first epistle are the books that show you Christ and teach you all that is necessary in salvatory, or salvatory, which means for salvation, for you to know even if you were never to see or hear any other book or doctrine. Therefore, St. James' epistle really is an epistle of straw compared to these others, for it has nothing to do, it has nothing of the nature of the gospel about it. This is what Martin Luther says. You remember what the book of James is about? Hearing and doing. Connecting what we know about God and what we are called to do with God. He would call it the epistle of straw, the book of James, because in his context, his people around him were doing things where people were doing things with their hands, but they weren't being granted salvation. So for him, he had an issue with the book of James. Now, this Reformation theology it's where you get the doctrines of grace and all these different beautiful solas and all these, these other things. But what happens is, as it comes down towards uh, America, it starts to change a lot of different things historically. Well, we have to ask this, the question, what is justice? Ken Witzma, he has a great book called uh, Pursuing Justice. And his definition of justice is this. Justice is the state that exists where there is equity, balance, harmony in relationships and in society. Injustice is the state in which that exists when unjust people do violence to peace and shalom and create inequity, imbalance, and dissonance. You see, friends, the Bible is completely clear on justice, what justice is, and how God has come to liberate all creation and reconcile all things to himself, which is an act of justice. 
When we read in our Bibles, the Bible will translate, especially like if you look at Matthew chapter 6 about giving to the needy. Don't let your righteousness be seen by others. Right? Do justice, but don't let your good deeds be, be seen by others that you're trying to show off. But to, but to do good deeds, but to, to be just. The word justice and righteousness is very interesting. I love that psalm that we shared earlier about God's righteousness. I believe it was Psalm 63 that you shared. Psalm 63, it talked about his righteousness and then justice. Well, see, here's the issue. Justice and righteousness here in our context have been separated. Because in Matthew chapter 6, what it meant to be to do justice was actually the same word as righteous. What am I trying to say? I'm trying to say that righteousness and justice are the same thing. They're the same thing. They're two different parts of the same coin. You cannot do right, you cannot be righteous in God's standing and not be a just person and not do justice. We talk about the theological doctrine of justification. That's called justice. God does an act of justice through justification in us, in our lives. And so when we now take on a new identity of Christ making us righteous, we are now to become just people. It's incongruent to separate the two. I don't know how many languages you guys speak. I speak one, and it's English. And one of the things I found fascinating about languages, when you're looking at biblical languages and whatnot in other languages, certain things don't translate properly into other languages. Well, for example, one of the cool things is the word justice when you look at a Spanish translation of the Bible, in Spanish, righteousness is actually translated as one word as opposed to two words. It's the word justicia, which means justice. In our context, things have been divorced. So that's why we have such a hard time when it comes to doing justice or asking the question, is justice have anything to do with the gospel? When friends, they're not enemies. They're actually together. The Bible is very clear on justice. Deuteronomy 16, 18 through 20. Appoint judges and officials for your tribes and all your towns of the Lord of your God that God has given you. They are to judge the people with righteous judgment. Do not deny justice or show partiality to anyone. Do not accept a bribe, for it blinds the eyes of the wise and twists the words of the righteous. Pursue justice and justice alone, so that you may live and possess the land. Isaiah 1, 16 through 17. Wash yourselves. Cleanse yourselves. Remove your evil deeds from your sight. Stop doing evil. Learn to do what is good. Pursue justice. Correct the oppressor. Now, that's where we have to pause, because in Seattle, we, we be freaking out about correcting oppressors. Some people take it way too far, and some people don't take it far enough. You see, but the call is to correct the oppressor. When we do not correct the oppressor as citizens in God's kingdom, we affirm the oppressor, and we allow the injustice to continue in the land when we were just called not to allow injustice to have place in the land. 
Defend the rights of the fatherless. There you go. Father's Day again. Plead the widow's cause. And if you're wondering what's up with my necklace, this is my daughter made this for me, so that's why I'm wearing it. So some of y'all are like, what is happening here? <laughs> that's, that's what's happening. Amos 5, 21 through 24. I hate, I despise your feasts. I can't stand the stench of your solemn assemblies. Even your offerings that you give to me, your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. I will have no regard for you, your fellowship, your offerings, your fattened calves or cattle. Take away uh, this noise of your, your worship songs. I will not listen to your music of your hearts, but let justice flow like water and righteousness like an unfailing stream. That's the rest of the verse. We, we all know the let justice roll down. But basically before God says, I hate your church. I hate your church services. I hate your worship songs. And I hate your offering because they are void of justice. This is what the scriptures are saying. I don't think I have to give you more verses on justice because there's a lot more. You see, so when we talk about justice today, it's all over the place. Now, people have differing views of, of, of justice, and they have their own view and their own definition of what they think justice is. And then to make it harder, and in our context of America, it makes applying the command and embracing justice a little bit more difficult, but not impossible. Some of our most well-known and well-read theologians in European history and American history had a lot of racist issues and were very malnourished when it came to the gospel. For example, in our context here, the Great Awakening. There were two Great Awakenings in the United States of America. And this is when people were like, people would say, like, pretty much like Jonah's, you know, uh, kind of whole deal. Why like Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh because he knew God, that would, God would forgive him. Basically, there are pre preachers preaching, like, these sermons, sinners in the hands of an angry God. Like, God's going to kill you. And they're like, oh, my God, what do I got to do to get saved? That's what was happening. Everywhere. People were just coming in droves, embracing Jesus and embracing um, the gospel, which leads you to ask the question, what were they embracing? Were they embracing the truth of the gospel? Were they embracing fear? You see, and that happens from the early to mid-1700s, but here's the clicker, or the kicker. Slavery not just survived, but thrived in both great awakenings. Wouldn't you think that once people started coming to the knowledge of Jesus, that they would say, you know what? Slavery's got to end. But it did not. Slavery did not end. It actually thrived. You see, these theologians, these people, they divorced the physical aspect of the gospel of Jesus, and they failed to do the physical aspect of loving their neighbor. You see, we're called not only to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, but to demonstrate the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not just our proclamation, but also our demonstration. And it's also not just to demonstrate the gospel, but also to profess the gospel. You see, when you don't have the spirit in your body, you're dead. Just like that, you cannot disconnect the gospel of Jesus Christ into these aspects of only preaching and doing. They have to go together. They're not mutually exclusive. They are not, they're not enemies as well. You see, they divorced the physical aspect of the gospel and failed to love their neighbor. 
And then they even went even deeper to say that some ethnicities were not made in the image of God. Christianity at this particular time in history had so much power and influence that what it meant to be uh, uh, an American meant that you had to be a Christian. You'd have to be baptized into the church. And that is why blacks, that is why indigenous first tribes, natives, were denied baptism in the church because it would then give them right to be Christian and as an American. And so they sought to take away the imago Dei, the image of God. You know, in the commandments where God commands us not to make any other idols, right? To worship only him. One of the most beautiful pieces about the gospel of Jesus Christ is that God doesn't want us to make images of him because he already has made images of himself. And it's you and I. The scriptures would say it's, we are the selim. We are the image of God. And we are called as the image of God, the image bearers, to go out as citizens of heaven and influence and impact the citizenship of which we find ourselves in in our context or in our country. Because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it allows us to love God and want his kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Heaven has all of the best policies, has all of the best health care, which is eternal. He says that, it says that in, in the scriptures that Jesus runs the government. Now, all of us know right now, if we could go to sleep and everything for the government to be fine, we would be happy. But I find it very odd that the two most striking things that my mom told me were going to happen, and I didn't believe her, were when you're older, you're not going to want toys for Christmas, you're going to want clothes, and that later on you would actually start caring about politics and whether or not the mailman delivers your mail. I don't know when it happens, I don't know when the shift happens, but it does. It happens, and we care about these things. And we should care about these things. But ultimately, all of those things need to be submitted under the lordship of Jesus Christ. We are called to be disciples of him. We cannot divorce physical and practical or spiritual and practical. We cannot divorce the two. They are not meant to be divorced. If they really needed to, Jesus would not come in physical flesh, in physical space. And then he would not endure injustice to show us what justice is. When you look throughout history, Martin Luther, the first one, was racist against Jews. Jonathan Edwards, everyone loves Jonathan Edwards. He was one of the most influential uh, theologians in, in my space. He was a slave owner and okay with it, and an advocate of it. George Whitfield actually helped slavery in Georgia start. He was part of the, he was the main catalyst in the legalization of slavery in Georgia so that black people could work uh, his orphanage. You see, the conversation of justice as a Christian is scary because people get truly afraid because what it means is that to follow Jesus, you might not be accepted by others. 
or you can just go with the flow. Some of us don't want to be labeled politically. We don't want uh, people to not like us, which is like the ultimate hell that people can put us in. Like, I don't want them to know because then they'll hate me forever. And many churches don't talk about this because they don't want to lose donors, a.k.a. money. They're afraid of their pocketbook. They're afraid of what's going to happen. But the truth is, is that you can't serve two masters. We're called to love our God with all our mind, heart, soul, and strength, and love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Which another aspect of that is sometimes people, we don't even love ourselves. We don't even like ourselves. So it's kind of hard to love our neighbor. That's for a different sermon. See, but this is the cost of discipleship. To follow Jesus means he gets all of you. To follow Jesus means he gets all of you. It doesn't, mean you, it doesn't mean you can't have a certain political affiliation or a certain view on certain things. He just says, no, those things need to be submitted unto me. Your heart, your beliefs need to cross my desk so I can sign off on them. He's like, oh, no, that's not me. Get that? Here, let me instruct you, tell you what I'm about. You see, in the gospel of Jesus Christ, to follow him means he's going to mess with your politics. He's going to mess with your money. He's going to mess with your comfort. Not because he wants to mess with you, because he wants to love you. And he's in, in that invitation, when he says, deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. That means you can't sell your soul to your political party. It, it means you can't say, oh, you're not really a Christian if you vote this way or that way. Or I don't want to I want to talk about that particular issue because people are going to consider me in this camp. They're going to consider me on the right or on the left or on the diagonal, on the squiggly. They're going to put me in all these different spaces. You know, but it's very interesting that traditionally most people who are these theological like juggernauts in our space are usually heretics before they're heroes. So, we, have a, we live in a state that is way different from a lot of other states. Um, have any of you guys ever lived in the South or the Mid-South before? Okay, yeah. It's, it, yeah, right? It's, it's different, right? They have different way they do things, different way they display their, their, their uh, frustration, their anger. They have different values. Um, our, our, our context that we live in, I would say, is pretty like, yeah, justice. Yeah, help the poor. And in other places, they're like, forget the poor. They need to work really hard. Look what I did. Look what my family did. We're not going to talk about how it was built off the backs of slaves, but I have money. This is how we, we try to do it. This is how the conversation goes. And sometimes we don't want to get put in a certain camp. But it's very interesting that typically people are considered heretics before heroes. Now, I'm not saying that uh, all heretics are, like, right. <laughs> and I also don't think that we even understand what heretic means. We, we kind of take that term, and when someone disagrees with us, they say, you go, to, you go to church at 9 instead of 10, heretic. You know, no goldfish, heretic. Like, we throw that words out there like, like, like anything. But, like, when we're talking about a heretic, Martin Luther said, it's only by grace, by faith. Heretic. 
But now today, we celebrate him. But it's very interesting. In America, we didn't like the second Martin Luther's theses. Liberty, equality, freedom, justice for all. We don't get to pick and choose. But you know, they both were like a villain in the civil rights movement, Martin Luther King. But now we have a holiday and we, we celebrate him. But he was considered left, liberal, not conservative enough. And then Billy Graham was considered not conservative enough because he let Martin Luther King pray at his prayer gathering. You see what I'm saying? It's not about what political party you're a part of. It's about who you worship. Does that make sense? Because to follow Jesus means he might ask you to stop worshiping your money, your job, your politics, your family, all of those things. Because what God wants us to understand and know that the work that he is here to do is the reconciliation of all things. What do all things mean? The scriptures are clear that Jesus, the son of God, came to do what the book of Colossians speaks about, that Jesus is the culmination in the reconciliation of all things. He's the reconciliation of all things, that Jesus reconciles all things to himself through the work of the cross. And that Jesus's work of liberation on the cross says that all believers now contain the reality of who Jesus is. And that now being part of his family, we understand that we have to be vertically reconciled to God and horizontally reconciled to one another and horizontally um, responsible for others. This is the gospel. So that's why today we labor as divine gardeners and we are stewards of God's creation like Adam and Eve in the garden. We have to understand and remember that we are given now the responsibility and the gift of, of dispensing justice and equity in the spaces that it's void of God's shalom. We are to bring the followers into this position. That means sometimes we're going to have to engage in civil spaces or politics or innovations for new technologies, maybe even to education, anything. There is nothing outside of the scope of God that we cannot do to work for the justice and the equity of others. It doesn't mean you have to quit your job. There was an NFL football player who recently, 26 years old, just retired to pursue ministry. That's amazing. Also, I would, add, I would have said, I would have looked at my wife and said, hey, babe, uh, I'm going to go to ministry, but I'm still going to play this football and get this check. That's, that's what I'm going to do. But sometimes if God calls you to dip, you got to dip. But you can do anything. You've been given the ability and the power to create new things to serve people. Historically, sometimes we've just used them in negative ways. Instead of, excuse me, instead of building systems of justice and shalom, we've built systems of oppression. But we don't have to do that. And we have the opportunity to see God work in us and through us for his good work. God wants to liberate all creation, and this is justice. Colossians 1, 19 through 20 says, For God was pleased to have the fullness 
of himself, or fullness dwell in him, and through him reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth and heaven, and making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Friends, because of the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus in the cross of Christ is the weapon of liberation. It is the weapon of freedom, the weapon of emancipation, the weapon of how to love your neighbor. This is what God does. Ephesians chapter 2, 13 through 16. But now in Christ Jesus, you were once far off, but now you have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down the flesh of the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of the commandments expressed in ordinance. So that, get this, so that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God through one cross, therefore killing hostility. Friends, even this levels us. We don't have to have hate for people who disagree with us. We don't have to have hate for them. We sure enough might want to ask them some questions. But we don't have to to hate them. One of the things people think about doing good or doing justice is, you know, we have this terminology in theology called it's what's an indicative and an imperative. So with those two words, indicative and imperative, there's also one called implication. Far too much we use the word implication. Oh, this is an implication of the gospel as opposed to an ethical imperative. To do justice is not an implication of what the gospel of Jesus Christ and his cross. It is an ethical imperative. Because to do justice, just like the Ten Commandments, are tablets that express God's character of who he is. So justice is an extension of who God is in his, in his righteousness, as we talked about earlier. Because God is righteous, he is also a just God. Because he cannot deny himself. And he calls for us to be just. And when God does this thing through us, we have a, we have a new identity. We love our neighbor. We love God. He's also created a new race, a new body a new temple, a new priesthood. And we reject any theology or any belief in the church or outside the church that says we need to replace other ethnicities to become superior. That is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. God makes us one new man. 1 Peter 2.9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. For what? So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. It is not uh, excellency to say, I'm, for someone to be like, hey, I'm hungry. You should go get something to eat. It's not proclaiming the excellencies to see people being locked up at disproportionate rates or people who are from certain countries being hated on because of their country of origin or their ethnicity. That is not proclaiming the excellencies of Christ. Proclaiming the excellencies of Jesus Christ in the gospel means that you remember that all men and women were created in God's image. Regardless of if they have a, a different 
uh, political affiliation, a certain gender preference. Everyone is made in the image of God, whether they acknowledge it or not. We are called to love, bring grace as one new people in one new body where Jesus is the head, as it would say in Colossians 1.18. And when God does that, he brings us and makes us into a new temple. 1 Peter 2.5. And you yourselves, like living stones, being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. And, And ultimately, a new priesthood. Revelation chapter 1, verses 5 through 6. To him who loves us and has released us from our sins by his blood, who has made us a kingdom of priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Friends, the scope of God's justice and liberation is for the whole cosmos. How do we know this? Genesis chapter 1, we know that God creates beautiful shalom in the garden. But by chapter 3, it's all jacked up. Then from the rest, Genesis chapter 3, all the way until you get to Revelation, you see a different story, a new garden, a new heaven and earth. You see, but in between, God is calling for us to be divine gardeners to display the shalom as dual citizens of whatever country you're in, but ultimately as a citizen in the kingdom of heaven. Sometimes there may be laws and sometimes there will be policies that go against what the kingdom of God does. Sometimes there's going to be people who say, don't love that person, don't help that person. But the kingdom of God is different. Jesus is a good king. All his policies are just. He doesn't care about your political affiliations. He doesn't care about your money. He doesn't care about your job. He will let you do all of those things, but ask that you give your allegiance to him, to follow him if you're saying you're a disciple. Friends, I want you to know this. God will have his church He will have his bride, and it will be multi-ethnic, and he will use those multi-ethnic people to serve everyone, the the least, the lost of all of these. We are called to display God's shalom. We are to make known his beauty, proclaim his excellencies, and we can't do that if we're calling people to follow our agenda and not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? And some of you guys are going to be like, man, that was kind of heavy. It's supposed to be Father's Day, but it's also Juneteenth. And on Juneteenth, we celebrate freedom. But we have to remember, even after 1863, even after 1865, there have been countless, yes, you're free, but, yes, you're free, but, you're separate but equal, yes, there's segregation, but, yeah, you're free, but, You can't sit here, but you see what I'm saying? The gospel of Jesus Christ is not delayed like that. Once Jesus was forgiven of you, there was no buts. It was, you're my family. 
So now, friends, let us live out of that. And I want to end as the worship team comes up with uh, one quote from Daniel Sadler. He says, the church of Jesus is not in trouble. The American way of Christianity is. The two are very different. The two are very different. When we don't remember those things and we don't apply the truth of the gospel, we create these weird things. And I'll tell you, one of my passions is talking about this particular subject because justice is so cosmic and it influences everything. And in my experience, one of my favorite times that I ever got to experience, it was probably one of the hardest times of my life, my wife can attest to this, there is a book called The Last Segregated Hour. The Last Segregated Hour, it's about Memphis Neolins and the campaign for the Southern Church desegregation. If you don't know anything about Memphis, Memphis is where Martin Luther King was assassinated. When you go to Memphis, Memphis is a beautiful place, but it's, there's like this cloud of darkness over it where in Memphis, they've acknowledged we've got problems. But the acknowledgement of problems and then the working towards or implementing that needs more work, just as a lot of other places do. And there was a church there that they would not allow black people to come in. There are many churches. And black folk, black Christians would come and they would sit in the congregation listen to the the church service or they would kneel at their pew and then people would take them away and say you can't be in here your kind is not allowed in this church you're not allowed here did you know that that's how the AME started the African African American Methodist Episcopal Church because they weren't allowed to be in that church so they started their own denomination (laughs) And as this church didn't want blacks in, they ended up shifting and changing. This picture of this book is a picture of that church before they started to change. And some people, like many people who might hear this message today, either online or in the room, can say, well, you're going after my stuff. But I want you to know, I'm not going after your stuff. Jesus is going after your heart and wants to tell you how much he loves you. God does that so much that in this church, this church changed and started to allow black people to fellowship with them. Well, there was a group of about 200 of them who did not like that. They left to start their own church, an independent church. And then fast forward 50 years later, I became their first black pastoral staff member in the 50 year history of their church. Now I don't tell you that to say awesome and kudos. I tell you that to say the experience that I've experienced in the beauty of God's church has been good and it's been bad sometimes. But the truth of the gospel is this is that God will not leave you 
where you are today. That he will love you and continue to walk with you to where he's calling you to. And if you want to know whether or not justice is at the heart of God, you have to look no further than the cross of Jesus Christ itself. God died on the cross in our place for our sins. And we sing the song justified, just if I'd never done anything wrong. It's justice. It's righteousness. That's our model. That's our way. So today I invite you to pick up your cross, to deny yourself, and follow him. Amen? Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. We thank you for the truth of your gospel of justice, that it should not just be a theological abstract thing in our minds, but it needs to flow into our hands and our feet. Lord God, we know that we must act. Lord God, I am reminded of the quote from Frederick Douglass when he said that he prayed for years and years and years and years that you would free him for slavery. And he said that he, you never answered his prayer until he prayed with his legs. <laughs> Lord God, many of us in this room may be asking for a miracle of how do we learn how to really connect these truths to our actions that we do believe them, but we just don't know how to do it. Lord God, I pray as they're praying that prayer and they may feel like you're not answering them, that they would actually pray with their legs that they would pray with their hands, that they would pray with their feet, that they would pray with their mind to use all of their faculties to create new things to bless so many people. So Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the love of God as a father shown to us in your son, Jesus. We thank you for all these things in Jesus' good name. Amen.